right. Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. Uh, my name is Pastor Cedric. Fortunate to be the lead pastor here at Commitment Church. And we're just so excited to be here this morning on this awesome Father's Day. Again, happy Father's Day to all you fathers and fathers who are standing, men who are standing in to be fathers, to those who do not have fathers. Uh, we thank you so much for being those men who are standing in the gap. So we are continuing a, an awesome series I've entitled for you, From the Ashes. So if we can bow our heads to get into our message today. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, for fathers again. <clears throat> thank you so much, God, for being our heavenly father. When our earthly fathers have fallen short or when we fall short, God, you uh, supernaturally fill in the gap for us. And God, we just pray now that you would just speak to our hearts from and through the authority of your word, that it may fall on good ground and bear much fruit. So Father, I just uh, look forward to uh, what you're going to do in my heart and the hearts of all of the listeners today. And we just thank you so much for the awesome opportunity to gather week after week in spite of the obstacles that we have in literally being here physically together. God, we thank you so much for uh, just technology as well that allows us to continue to move forward in our faith in spite of uh, the obstacles that are ahead of us. Lord, we look forward to gathering again soon. And Lord, we are so, all, uh, we're so uh, appreciative, God, of, of all that you have done in spite of and in light of all we've had to bear during this season. So speak, God, and accomplish your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are continuing in, again, a series I've entitled from you, for you, From the Ashes, and we are examining the life of David. The life of David, and uh, again, David is, is considered, according to the scriptures, a man after God's own heart. And uh, it doesn't mean that he was a perfect man, but he was a man who perfectly pursued God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in this series, we've been focusing on, if you would, two segments or phases, and that is going back and embracing our ashes and those difficult things that happened to us in our past or in our lives. It could be just what happened to you today 30 seconds ago, that God uses that, those ashes in our lives to propel us into what he has called and created us to be. And we have defined the words uh, from the ashes as... God taking everything that we were, everything that we are, and everything that we have so that we can become the men and women of God that he has so graciously designed us to be, to bring him all the honor and glory, and also for the good of others for generations to come. So that being said, we're going to pick up in this, the narrative of David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, <clears throat> we're going to be in a few verses there, then we're going to uh, unfortunately, can't go, to, go through every verse, but we are go to chapter uh, 20 and I think 21 and 24 today uh, to be able to dissect a little bit and dive into, again, the life of David. So embracing our ashes, embracing our ashes, you look in, again, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses uh, 10 through 29, we will have to look at it in part that you see in verse 10, it says, now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. And he 
raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, uh, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. So think about this. Here's David, the shepherd boy, now in a king's palace. Now he is, uh, if you would, serving the king with the skill sets that he has been given. And for whatever reason, Saul wakes up on the bad side or the wrong side of the bed and just has this issue with David. So this is the first of several points I bring out to your attention when, when we capture this first uh, bit of ashes. And that is, in life, as you are being uh, prepared for whatever God has for you in the future, if he has kingship for you as it was with David, you can rest assured in your journey or in route to whatever God wants you to be, you will be attacked. You will be attacked. And here you find David just being attacked just because. Again, Saul wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and he, he throws a spear at David and does it twice, not only once. He saw hurled a spear for he thought, I would just randomly pin David to the wall. And you're going to find people in your life over and over again that would just want to just randomly pin you to the wall. Just you use darts against you, if you would, the fiery darts of the enemy to ultimately discourage you, frustrate you, and, and many, many times destroy your life in whatever degree. So again, you will be attacked and, and, and you can't get bent out of shape when you are going to be attacked. And we're going to get deeper into that. But then you also find, if you would, in verses 12 through 16, something begins to happen. David begins to be attacked because of fear and jealousy. Now, let's read those verses in part. Verse 12 specifically said that Saul was afraid of David. Why? It says, for the Lord was with him. Just because the Lord was with David, Saul did what? Fear him. So you have to understand many times when people attack you, it's because they see the God in you. They see what God is doing in your life. They see the presence and the power of God manifested in your life. And sometimes they don't even know why they're mad at you because they're really mad at God in you. So Paul, uh, uh, Saul here, you, uh, you find clearly is afraid of David. He's attacking David because the Lord is with David. Then if you skip to verse 15, it says, when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he then what? He went from fearing David to dreading David, right? So it's almost like uh, uh, Saul saw the writing on the wall and saw God's hand upon David, probably just as his hand was upon his life at one period of time, as now the hand of God is upon David. The Spirit of God is now transferred upon David, right? And, and the, the, if you would, the giftedness and the calling of being the leader of all of God's people is not upon David, Saul now sees this occurring and manifesting in his life, and now he's starting to dread David, right? It started out again attacking David just because just something in Saul says, let me just throw this spear at him. But now you're finding out more and more of the details, presumably why Saul is now attacking David. It was fear and also this dread of jealousy that begins to cause people to attack you. They fear you, jealous of what God is doing in your life. But then you also find a creative way of attacking, verse 17 through 19. Let's read those. It says, Then Saul said to David, 
here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, my hand should not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's fa- family in Israel that I should be in the king, that I should be the king's son-in-law? Verse 19. So it came about at that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, and it says the Mahalanite for a wife. So here you find now it goes from just because, fear and jealousy, and then now this deception begins to happen. He's being attacked through deception, right? It says, think about it. I will give you my daughter. Uh, not yet, right? I will give you my daughter. Well, maybe I will give you my daughter or I will give you something to lure you to battle so that ultimately the Philistines can destroy you, David, right? So you have deception there. And then the last form of attack that David begins to, to have here, you found in verses 20 through 29, and I won't read all of those, but you have David now being set up. Look at verse 21. It says, Saul thought, I will give her to him, this is his other daughter, that she may become a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him again. Therefore Saul said to David for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. So here again, setting him up again, trying to place a snare uh, in David's uh, life, setting him up. Then you say, you see here, it says in verse 25, this is a random, this is so random. It, it is so random, but it's a clear setup. So this is what Saul said. He said, thus, you shall say to David, the king does not desire any diary to have his, wife, his daughter as his wife except a hundred foreskins of the Philistine. Now, Google foreskins. I won't go into that today. It says, take vengeance on the king's enemy, to take vengeance on the king's enemy. So think about this. It says, now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David to come to the king's, to come to, to become the king's son-in-law before the days had expired. Then verse 27, David rose up, went, and he and his men struck down, listen, not only 100 Philistines, but it says 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought back their foreskins, and they gave them in full number 200 to the king. Think about this. So, so Saul was setting up David by saying, go get 100 grown men's foreskins. Think about that. A hundred grown men's foreskins, and David reciprocates by saying, you know what, Saul? I'm not going to only give you a hundred, but I'm going to give you 200. Do you see the, the man after God's own heart? It's almost like when Jesus said, he said, listen, if you have an enemy, don't go, don't carry his cloak one mile, but go the second mile. Here you find whenever you're going to be attacked, it is very easy to succumb to what is before you, right? Your emotions and and all the chaos that is around you, very easy to look at everything peripherally, peripherally that's swirling around you and not and lose sight of what God is really doing in the moment. So here's David, in spite of being attacked, in spite of being uh, attacked just because, in spite of being attacked because of fear, of jealousy, being deceived, 
being set up. He says, okay, you know what, Saul, what I'm going to give you? I'm not going to give you 100 foreskins. I'm going to give you double the number. And I believe that's what God is looking at uh, in, in, the, in the inward parts of all of our hearts, is that no matter what is happening to you, no matter how much people are against you, no matter if you feel that you're being set up, you're being deceived, you're being attacked in whatever creative way, give them double the amount and God will see you through. Now, I believe in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, uh, gives us the model, gives us the model way to deal with our attackers and then also the benefits that we have. Listen to what it says in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, beginning with verse 18, it says this. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Those who are in authority. You could say those who, who have a leg up on you as well. Those who are over your life, controlling your life. It says with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. If you have any unreasonable people, chances are they're trying to attack you. They're trying to do this just because, because of fear, jealousy. They're setting you up. There's deception nestled within it. It says, but also to those who are unreasonable, verse 19. It says, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows, when suffering unjustly. Do you hear that? While suffering unjustly, this finds favor with God. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, enduring it, this finds favor with God. There you have it again. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Do you hear that, church? Do you hear that, man? That you are called for this purpose to do what is right when you are still unjustly treated. It says, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Verse 22, who committed, listen to what it says, who committed no sin, nor has any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Do you hear that? So at the end of the day, you will be attacked. You will be unjustly uh, accused. You'll be unjustly treated. It will not be fair. And, and I can, I, can I tell you this? That is just a matter of life. It's a matter of life, and especially we, we who are minorities in this particular time and in, in our point in history, we need to hold on to what the Scripture says rather than what we hear going on around us. Because at the end of the day, we serve a just God who is able to still hold this world together by the word of his power. And then listen to what Romans chapter 16 verse 20 describes in the, as the end game. This is the end game. If we do what is right when our attackers are coming against us. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you hear that? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you see the balance? Do you hear the balance in there? 
In other words, it's not my job to crush Satan under my feet. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who is Cedric? Right? At the end of the day, the, you know, Satan is defeated, darkness is dispelled because Jesus Christ is Lord of all, not because I'm something special as a man, but because he is all-powerful and everything that was created, past, present, future, has to fall under his feet. Sooner or later, Satan is defeated and darkness is dispelled because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So when God is at work in your ashes, listen, he will always, always provide protection from your enemies and from the enemy who's behind every enemy. Amen? Let's transition now to leaving your ashes behind and moving towards what God has called and created you to be. And remember, our definition from the ashes is this. This is when God takes all that you were, all that you are, all that you have, and begins to do something special, just begins that process of making you into someone and something that will bring him honor and glory and also remember for the good of others. If you can, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And as you turn in there, here are three benefits to waiting because here you have here you have the scenario, David being attacked, David being attacked, David being attacked. David also knowing simultaneously in his mind, in his heart, he's a human being. He's like, wait a minute, wasn't I anointed king? Wasn't I anointed king? Well, what's taking so long? When is it going to come about? Right? Why are you waiting, oh God? Right? In other words, no matter what you're going through, to get to where God has called you to be, you will inevitably have to wait. You have to wait. So listen to three benefits. This is an article that it says, three benefits to waiting. Number one, it creates value. When you wait for something, it gains a value that cannot come elsewhere. No amount of work or money can increase the value of something that has been long waited for. The anticipation builds the value over time. Number two, waiting builds character. Whether we like to admit it or not, we need to wait for the big moments. Waiting allows a period of reflection before great events, preparing the individual for the things that are to come. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. You hear what it says? Lacking nothing. So if you can flip that and say, okay, well, if it occurs right away, I will be lacking something. And one thing I've learned in leadership is this. The more weight of leadership you have, the more you realize how much you're lacking. So don't, don't get twisted in, in the weight because the weight is allowing you to lack less and less. The weight prepares you more and more so you, can, so you can lack less and less. The weight prepares you more and more so you can lack less and less. It says patience works and tries us in ways that actions and events do not. 
Through this, character is built in a man or a woman, preparing them for what is to come. Three benefits of waiting. Creates value, builds character. Lastly, it relieves, it says, our egos. One thing that waiting does, it will purge you, right? It says a byproduct of our self-interest, we tend to view everything that happens as pivoting around us. It says, yet often, to our surprise, the world does not revolve around our lives as a, and stories of our lives. Even as we are waiting for something, the world is still spinning, working, and functioning without us. Our waiting is merely allowing life to unfold before our eyes. Three benefits of waiting creates value in what God is about to give you. It builds character and also relieves our egos. And guess what? All of us need an ego check every now and then. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 9 gives us our first how and when we should wait. If we look at, for sake of time, verse 1 in particular, it said that David began to flee. He began to flee. Verse 1, it shows that he began to realize that Saul was seeking after his life. You find in verse number 5, David David literally running and hiding for his life. One thing is for sure. Remember we talked about being attacked? God will allow you to be attacked and allow you to wait it out until the attacks stop. Because I personally believe when God places you in an influential place in life and society, the attacks never stop. Matter of fact, I've learned personally that the more responsibility you get, the more voice you have, the more platform you have, the more the attacks. So one thing you have to understand is in the weight, you also have in parallel in your life, either it, it, it be in front of the veil or behind the veil, you will have attacks. You have your tax in your family, in your marriage, with your children. You have a tax with mothers, father, sister, brother. You have a tax socially, economically. You'll have a tax that will not cease. But you must be able to be, be a man or woman who are, who, who are, who's undergirded by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word to bear up under the attacks while you wait. But then you also find in chapter 21, verses 10 through 13, it says this. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. It says, but the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David ten thousand? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised, this is, this is how desperate we get in the wait. So David, he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands. 
and described and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his slava run down his beard. Do you hear that? Here's the future king acting insane while he waits. Doesn't that sound familiar? Still today, while we're waiting, it's almost like uh, as we wait and we know what God has for us, we sometimes can act crazy. We can act out of our minds. We can act distorted, contorted. We, we can literally sometimes go from adulthood in the faith to children in the faith overnight. You know, we become men and women who are tossed to and fro, you know, by every wind and doctrine. And, and I must be candid with you. We're seeing that today in this current day and hour, right? Starting with COVID-19. Then you, you have king's kids, royal priesthoods, acting insane. Then you layer it with the whole racial and the cultural divide that we're having and the systemic issues. And then you have kings and kings, literally kings of, uh, of the king of kings and lord of lords children acting out of their mind, acting like they're insane. The weight is tough and it will cause you to do peculiar things. But we must become men and women who realize, no, I, I cannot be moved by fear because that's what stirred David's heart. That's what caused him to act in a way that was unbecoming of a king because of fear. We cannot, no matter how much we are afraid, forget whose we are and who we are under the weight of fear. Then if you skip to chapter 24, verses 1 through 7, chapter 24, verses 1 through 7, it, David was tested. His character was tested. Listen to what it says. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Indigi. In, in then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you should do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the age of, edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it, listen to this closely, verse 6, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went his way. One thing that I've realized in the weight is that your character will always be tested. And I believe one of the tests of our character 
will always be when I take matters into my own hand. You see, David could have jumped before God and ultimately, right, killed the king. It was, in his mind, presumably the opportunity for this. The opportunity was in my hands, right? Here's the opportunity. Let me kill the king. Let me take the matter into my own hands. And please, church, men, don't be deceived. In other words, what is meant for God to take care of, he will never give you an opportunity to take care of yourself. You follow me? So in other words, the enemy can can give you what you think with your lens is the opportunity of the lifetime. And it really isn't God. It really isn't God. It's but a setup of the enemy to ultimately test your character. Because what you're going to find is when you have the opportunity to be king, when you have the opportunity to be in authority, there will always be decisions that you have to make that look like God but they're only good opportunities. Every, every, good opportunity, every good opportunity, please hear me well, every good opportunity isn't a God opportunity. And here David had the opportunity to kill a good opportunity, to kill Saul, right? But what David did was weigh it upon the scriptures, weigh it upon the law of God, not the law of the land. The law of God said, touch not my anointed. Right? The law of the land says, here's your opportunity, David, kill him. Here's your good opportunity, kill him. He's attacking you. See, the law of the land says, if the enemy is coming after you, you retaliate. That's what the law of the land says. The law of the land says, it is good to retaliate an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what the law of the land says. No, but God's law, which is higher than any law, says, no, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Because as you know, the story, the narrative goes, is that God ultimately dealt with Saul, and Saul was killed by the hand of someone else, which preserved David's reputation in the land, listen to this, of people who were faithfully following Saul and then had to turn on a dying to faithfully follow David. So can you imagine if David would have did the good thing, how it would have affected his leadership in the future? Sometimes we got to understand that this good opportunity, in other words, to follow the wind and the ways of the doctrine, the ways of the world, every movement isn't of God. When you're following things that everyone else is doing, doesn't mean it's God. It's a good thing it could be, possibly, but it may not be a God thing. And many good things ultimately hinder the God thing that awaits you in the future. It's important to understand the two and use the word of God as leverage and, and, and the balance of the scale to allow you to make the decision on the spot when emotions are at its highest. Think about that. David had pressure from his peers. David, do it. David, do it. And, and the scripture says, no, David convinced the people who was on his side, no, no, this is not the way we should handle this. There's times that you have to stand in opposition to your friends, to your family, to those who are around you to say, no, this good thing we think 
we should do is not a God thing. And you have to stand in opposition, and what you'll find, again, in the future, God will always prove himself to be right. Understand the weight here. David was literally anointed three times, if you would. He was anointed in the, in, uh, in the pasture with the sheep. Fifteen years later, he was anointed, it says, to be king the first time, if you would, over the tribe of Judah. Second time he was anointed over the tribe of Judah. It took another seven and a half years for David to be anointed king over all the land. Now, why is this important? Because that other 7.5 years, it gave the other people time to trust David's leadership. Not everybody was willing to follow him. But over time, as they saw how David handled himself when he was being attacked, when they saw how David handled himself when he had opportunities to do good versus God things, then over time, what you find is that God, uh, through his sovereign hand, allowed the entire land, Judah and Israel, to ultimately be convinced that David was really the man after God's own heart. Fifteen years it took. Psalm 27, verse 14, describes courage and waiting. It says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7, suggests we should rest while we're waiting. It says, rest in the Lord, not any other thing, not any other thing, any other person, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prosper in his ways. And that's where we lose rest. Well, they're getting away with this. No, 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 no. <laughs> we have a just God. People just don't get away with stuff. Do not fret because of him who prosper in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Rest in the Lord. Then verse 34 in Psalm 37 discloses the benefit of waiting. It says, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he would exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you'll see it. Then lastly, Isaiah 40 verse 31 exclaims the refreshment that is found in waiting in the Lord. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, that we mount up with wings as eagles, they will run and not get, grow weary or grow tired. They will walk and they will never, ever grow weary. If you choose not to wait in the Lord, you will get tired. You will grow weary. And here's the interesting thing that I've realized in life. You will then be forced to wait on him. So the best thing to do is out of the gate, start waiting right away and letting God be God in everything. You see, when you leave your ashes behind, you will inevitably be required to wait to take your eventual position. It's just what God does. You must wait. Let me end with this. So if, if the guys could put on the screen so you can see this, this image. This is an example, if you would, of what is called peripheral drift. Peripheral drift. You see these circles on the screen, and it seems as though the still images are turning. 
attorney. It, it's, it's our perception that the circles are turning even though they're still images. It's because of our peripheral vision. Is what we see peripherally causes things around us to swirl and turn. But it's interesting, when you focus on one thing or one circle or one place on the image, the image completely, that part of the image stops spinning. But the human tendency is, even when I'm focusing on that one part of the image, I'm I'm still kind of seeing the other stuff swirl. My challenge to you, if you can just look at me right now, please, is just to, is to realize that, and I've been posing the same question at the end of every message, how do you see yourself? You see, if, you, if you're a person that you, you are so caught up in the peripheral things of life, you lose focus. You lose focus, and everything will just swirl around you, swirl around you, right? And that's why, that's why the scriptures say to you and I, look into the hills from which your strength comes from. They come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, right? Because our, our focus can be on heaven, our focus can be on earth, but if we focus on the one who makes, keeps, holds together, heaven and earth, we will have a healthy balance and healthy focus in life. We have a healthy perspective of ourselves and everything that's around us. Your challenge today, listen, guys and ladies, is to not get caught up in the peripheral hype. Once you get caught up in a peripheral hype, it begins to swirl around you and then eventually it will overtake what you are attempting to focus on. Your challenge is to focus on him and him alone. Focus on his word and his word alone. Focus on his thoughts, not your own thoughts. Focus on his voice, not the voice of others, not the voice of society, not the voice of news reports, not the voice of friend or foe. Because it will cause everything around you to swirl because our human tendency is to look peripherally. It's to always look at what is moving around us rather than staying focused on who God is and who we are in Christ. Do you see yourself as he sees you and he sees you as finished? The world will tell you all around you that you're unfinished, that you need more, you need another alternative, you need someone else outside of Christ, right? You need, you need someone else to intervene. You need some other movement but the move of God in your life. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is your peripheral vision of God causing confusion which causes you to take your focus off of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is true. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Father, I pray that you will help us 
especially we men on this Father's Day. Help us, God, to be men of focus, not to get caught up in the peripheral noise of life. Help us, God, to look into the hills. To you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Today, maybe you have lost your focus and your peripheral vision has caused an imbalanced, imbalance of your life and is causing you to lose focus. This is a great opportunity to refocus on the, on the center of Christ. Listen, in life, you're going to have to choose what circle you focus on. Will you circle on the friends of social activities? Will you focus on what family says? Would you focus on any other emotional attachment, attachments with people? Would you focus on, again, on your own agenda, your own emotional upheaval, if you would, on the inside? Or will you focus on him and him alone? Because he's the only one that's going to be able to cancel out all of the stuff that is swirling around you. If you've lost your focus, this is a great opportunity to refocus in him. No matter what the attacks are today, no matter how they're manifesting externally, internally, they are to prepare you for your kingship. for your royalty. You can't avoid them. God can't stop them because they are there so that you can be fully and adequately equipped lacking no good thing. Today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a great opportunity to engage with him. It's okay, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And all you need to do is just say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to live life apart from you. I now realize you came to die for me. You were buried for me. You rose again from the grave for me so that I can have life and have it more abundantly and so that I can have an eternal place in heaven when life ends. Today, if you want to surrender your life to Christ, all you need to just do is just say, Jesus, take my life. It is yours. Wash me clean by your blood. I surrender my life completely to you today. But for you, those of you who prayed that prayer before and you are children of the King, but yet, again, you've lost your way, you've lost your focus, it's important for you right now to, to recapture that focus and say, okay, God, right now, you can just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, oh, Jesus, I now realize that I've been avoiding those ashes. I've been avoiding the attacks. I've been avoiding the weight. But now I realize it has all been good for me. So help me take all that I was, all that I am, all that I have, 
and present it to you today, God, that you will make me into all that you have designed for me to be from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you so much for joining us today here on Commitment Online. And as was mentioned by uh, Elder Mark earlier, we just thank you so much for your continuous generosity. We do say that there are five ways to give, and that is traditionally check and cash. You can drop it here off the church. The offices are normally here open Monday through Friday, but then also you can mail it in however the Lord leads you. We also want you to know that you can give online. You can give via the church app, which you can find on a Google Play Store, the iTunes, the the i you can yes uh, apple store there you go <laughs> and then uh, lastly you can text to give at 77977 you just text the words commitment church commitment church to 77977 commitment church to 77977 and just continue to follow us on facebook facebook and instagram and twitter and all the awesome different places and and share if the message has touched your heart please share it to those who you feel that would need it as well just get the word out of what god is doing here at commitment church uh, you will be hearing more information uh, lord willing this coming week as it relates to our regathering here uh, there will be limited seating of course based upon regulations but you should be hearing more and more as the week progresses and our target date will be this the second sunday in uh, July to regather and we're just trying to understand how it's going to look but just pray for us that God will give us wisdom on how to proceed with all of this we're trying our best to take all the necessary precautions to ensure your safety and the safety of others but then also your spiritual well-being because I know we all miss each other and I sure miss you guys so again we love you uh, thank you so much for joining us week after week here on Commitment Online and get the word out and spread the word of the good work that God is doing here at Commitment. God bless you.